Good morning, beloved. It's so good to raise our voices and sing to our King together. If you have your copy of Scripture with you, will you turn with me to John chapter 14? We'll be in John chapter 14 today. Uh, while you're turning there, I would like to share a proud dad moment from my week. Um, we don't get a lot of those, so you got to really celebrate them when they happen. Um, but uh, just randomly, I walked from one room and to the living room in my house, and my daughter was right around the corner. She kind of caught me off guard, like I wasn't expecting her to be standing right there. And I had a shirt in my hands, and I, for whatever unknown reason, I just decided to kind of like twirl that shirt, and, and it was like kind of cool how it twirled. And so I just kind of went with it, and it turned into this little dance-like thing where I was twirling the shirt. And as I'm twirling the shirt, it's like staying flat and everything. I would try to replicate it, but I would destroy the whole mood and the, the scene here. So just, just kind of enter the story with me. But this fabric is spinning in a way that is just amazing. And I'm like, got it over here. I've got it over here. I've got it over here. And I'm like looking at this, and I'm thinking, this is going really well. Like I didn't know I had this kind of ability to do this with a shirt. And um, finally, I kind of wrap it up like before I mess it up. And I look up at her, and she's looking at me like mouth open and wonder like. And, and she says, how did you do that? And I, without missing a beat, said, because I'm a ninja. <laughs> and she looks back at me, deadpan serious, and she says, I didn't know that. And she walks away. <laughs> and mind you, my daughter is getting old enough now to where she knows that she rightly should be suspicious of some of my claims. But I thought, I got to file that away. That was a good moment. That was a good moment. Uh, core memory developed right there, yes. Uh, uh, sometimes I feel the need to remind my kids they don't know fully just who I am or what I'm capable of, you know? Um, uh, sometimes we speak to others without actually knowing who they are or what they're capable of. Um, sometimes we pray and don't actually know who it is we're talking to, who this is that we're talking to in prayer or what this person is capable of. And if we did... If we knew who this was and what this person is capable of as we ask things of this person, then maybe we would ask differently. Maybe we would approach this person more often. Maybe we would approach it in a different posture. There's so many things about our prayer life may change if we knew who it was we are coming to talk to and what he is capable of. And so today I want us to wrestle through that a bit um, with the words of Jesus in John chapter 14. So look at verse 12 with me. John chapter 14, verse 12 says, this is Jesus speaking. It says, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Hear the words of Jesus. Truly I tell you. And anytime he says truly I tell you, or King James, verily, verily, I say unto thee, when he, when he has that little start, our ears should perk up. This is going to be very important. Truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. And that's pretty amazing. For Jesus to make such a claim and to draw our attention specifically to it in a special way. Truly, I tell you. And when did Jesus ever lie? He didn't. And so he's, he's bringing some emphasis to this. He's emphatic about it. Truly, I tell you, you have got to hear this. You've got to believe this. I'm not lying to you. Truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. 
and he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. So to understand this, we must start with understanding what are the works of Jesus and what are they intended to do? When we think back through this book, we're in the book of exaltation, the kind of the latter half of the book of John, but in the book of signs, the first half, you have these seven signs that Jesus performs, and he's doing these works or these signs, and what was the point of them? He's raising people back to life, he's giving sight to the blind, he's healing the sick, giving life limbs to the paralyzed. What is all this about? What are these works for? And he says, we're going to do them also? How are we going to do these also? And then he says, you're going to do even greater works because I'm going to the Father. Remember last week we talked about that, that he's going away. He's going to disappear for some time, but he's coming back. And so in the interim, while we're here waiting for his ultimate return, when we'll see him face to face and we'll be with him forevermore, we're to do even greater works than Jesus? This is amazing. He wants us to zero in on this. Truly, I tell you, like really think about this, beloved. You're going to do the same things that I did. In fact, you're going to do even greater things. So again, to understand that, what were the things, and what was the point of the things we must ask? Jesus did these signs. He did these works to reveal his divinity, to reveal that he was the God-man. He is the one who has the ability to usher in the kingdom of God. He is the one who has the ability to not just offer, but to secure everlasting life, forgiveness of sins, life eternal with God, a restored relationship with the creator of the cosmos as his creation. That was the point of all of the signs, of all of his works, was to validate the message that he came. If you would believe in me, you would have everlasting life. And so when he does these works, and he says, now we're going to continue these works, yes, the same spirit that empowered Jesus to do miraculous things now lives in us. That same power is with us. And so sometimes at God's bidding, in his will, miraculous things will be done through us. That will happen. And we should seek those things. We should love those things because we love the one who gave those things. And we want him to be glorified in them. And we want ultimately the message to be validated. But what we are most after is for his kingdom to be advanced like he wanted it. We want for people to know it is true that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We want people to know this gospel. We want to reveal that Jesus is truly the divine son of God. He is the one with the ability to bring us into the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, you're gonna do even greater things than what he has done? How could we do even greater things? I don't know about you, let's take a poll. Who has raised someone from the dead? No, none of us. But we'll do even greater things. And this is not to say he does not do the miraculous, but I think we need to see the point of the miraculous. And he's saying, we will do even greater things because I'm going to the Father. He's talking to his church. That once Jesus was embodied in human flesh and was restricted to one locale at a time, and he's ascended back to the throne, and now his power is with us. He's promised to be with us in all authority in heaven and earth given to him. In that power, he now sends us in his presence to take this gospel to every nation. And now the church has spread out across the globe and is advancing this message that these works were to validate. And so we get to do this even greater, showing in his church that the kingdom is advancing across the planet. Now look at what he says next, verse 13. 
Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Did he just give us a credit card with no limit? Did you hear what he said? Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That is amazing. But again, we we need to understand, what is he saying here? He's saying, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that, here's the reasoning, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. When we ask for anything in his name, what is the point? So that the Father would be glorified through the Son. So the point of it all, the point of all of life, is the glory of God. You exist, every one of you, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, whatever you come here as, you exist for the glory of God. We all exist for the glory of God. The point of all of this is the glory of God. And how is God glorified? The Father is glorified through the Son. And so he's repeating this. It's emphatic. That should give us a confidence. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Hey, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. It is emphatic. That means when we come to God in prayer, we should come with such confidence that there is a mediator. There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, who's the son of God. Jesus allows us to come directly to the throne. We have the right to come to the father as sons because Jesus, the son of God, has adopted us in through his blood. Through the shed blood of Jesus, the cost has been paid. We are rightly to come to God and ask as his children, Father. And he says, ask me, ask me. Ask through the name of Jesus because that's why you belong here. You have the right to be here because of Jesus. We can approach and ask things of God because of Jesus, our mediator. And so just if you get nothing else today, hear this, ask in Jesus' name. Ask, ask. Go to the Father and ask. Ask in Jesus' name. But again, what does it mean to ask in Jesus' name? Is this just kind of a magical incantation? They're like, I really, really want something. So if I say in Jesus' name, God, give me this, then I get it? Like, guaranteed, I, I read it right there. Is that what it's saying? No. I need to understand, what does he mean when he says to ask in his name? To ask in Jesus' name um, is to pray. It's not even like lots of times you'll hear, typically I will conclude my prayers in the name of Jesus or in Christ's name, something like that. You've probably heard people pray that. Maybe you prayed that. And, and if you give thought, why do we say that at the end of a prayer? In Jesus' name. And it is actually tied to this passage that we're asking in the name of Jesus, but it's again, not this magical incantation that I can add a few words and then suddenly God is obligated. I put my quarters in the vending machine. Now you better give it to me or I'm gonna shake you. Like, no. It's, it's about what that means to ask in Jesus' name. And so let's explore what that means. To do that, um, I, I want to briefly spend some time just talking to you about what prayer is. When we think about prayer, because this is all prayer language, um, I want you to think of four things. So if you're a note taker, hear the four things and we'll unpack them. Prayer is about position, posture, communication, and communion. Prayer is about position, posture, communication, and communion. So first, position. 
Prayer is about position. This is the gospel. That again, we have the right to approach the throne of God because of Jesus. Not because we could ever be good enough. Here's the reality. God made everything good in the beginning. He created everything and declared it to be good. That includes us as the pinnacle of his creation, formed in his own image, male and female, to represent, to portray, to show the world who God is, to rule and take dominion with God. Like that is a glorious thing that he would make us glorious. And then we rebelled. Every one of us is at fault that we have sinned against God. We have not met his standard. He is holy and we are not. We are rebellious sinners. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And we do this every day in a million ways. The position of our heart that sin is an action, but it's also just our nature that we have inherited. Remember, we love our children. We don't have to teach them to be sinful. It's natural. And that's tragic and it goes back to the curse this fall, that we have all rebelled against God. We are, by our very nature, sinners. And so we have been estranged from God, cut off, taken out of the Garden of Eden, away from the tree of life. And yet God, who is holy and good, and we are not, and there's this divide between us, he says, no, I still love you, and I'm going to make a way. And all the way back in the pronouncement of the curse, he also preaches the gospel. He's just talking to this, this snake, this deceiver. So there's going to be enmity between you and man, the, the seed of the woman. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And so Adam and Eve are knowing from the start, and then we read the rest of Scripture looking for who's that going to be. One of the offspring of this woman is going to be the one who's going to make things right again. He's not going to listen to the snake. He's going to kill the snake but it's going to hurt him. And we look and we long, waiting for that one, and it's Jesus, the one who comes and crushes the head of the serpent, but his bruised heel. There's real pain there. And so there's this good God, there's this guilty person, and then there's the grace of God who says, I still love you, and I'm going to make a way for you. And so he comes in, Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, the one who would crush the head of the serpent, and he has brought us back, and now we live out of gratitude. We get to come to God. We get to be with God. That God has saved us from his own wrath, the condemnation, the sin, the shame, all that was rightly placed on us. He says, I'll take it on myself, and I'll pay it so that you can be with me. And now we get to live in light of that. And so when we come to God in prayer, we get to come to him with that reality that this gospel, this good news is, I belong here now because you know me and yet you still love me. And you call me your own. You call me beloved. That we belong there. This is our position. The gospel, that we belong to be here This is why the preacher in the book of Hebrews says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us and our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. That you come to the throne of God with boldness. You come confidently, not because you could ever earn your way, but because Jesus is the way. And we are in him, we are united with him in this gospel. That we come there, we have every right to be there that Jesus has. Do you realize that? 
You have every right to be in the throne room of heaven, approaching this throne of God that Jesus has, because we are united with him by faith. What a beautiful thing. It's position. And then prayer is about posture. This posture, to be aligned to his will and his desires, to pray in his name, is to come in alignment with the person, because a name is attached to a person. When you read about the name of someone in scripture, it's a reference to their personhood. And so to pray in the name of Jesus is to be aligned with the person. And a person has a will. Jesus has a will. And so to be aligned with what he desires, what he wants, is what it is to be postured right in prayer. To pray in Jesus' name. John clarifies this actually in his first epistle. The same person who wrote this, I believe. Uh, 1 John 5, 14 to 15, it says, This is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have whatever we have asked of him. Same language. And he further clarifies, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have whatever we've asked of him. So what is his will or his desire? To pray in alignment with that. It is his glory and our good. As he says, to the glory of God the Father through the Son. What he desires is to be glorified. And that is our greatest good. For God to be glorified is the best thing that can happen for us. This is so good. It's so beautiful. But it seems so counterintuitive because for us to be, for Kevin to be obsessed with his own glory, which tragically happens way too often, is for me to be selfish. It's for me to be just all-consuming. And, and so I just rob and take of you. And yet it's not like that with God. That God is rightly jealous. He is righteously jealous. He deserves all, play, all praise and all glory. And so as I glorify him, as I praise him, it is actually to my benefit. That's amazing. And so to pray is to posture ourselves humbly before God, the one who, as we humble ourselves, he exalts us. And this great paradox. What a glorious thing. Uh, commentator J. Gary Miller, he says it like this, the context makes clear that Jesus is talking about God's revelatory work of opening people's eyes to see his glory as those who have been invited to address the Father in the same way as Jesus, calling him Abba, Father, we are encouraged to pray in line with his mission and his agenda, which of course is to do the work that the Father has given him to do. So pray in Jesus' name. Pray to be aligned, to be postured right before him, to desire the same thing as him. And now, track with me on this, because in my mind, that can make me a little reluctant and hesitant to pray. Am I asking selfishly? Like, should I ask for this? And so sometimes I'll actually take a cop out. Like, God, your will be done. I mean, I know, I know you're capable, but your will be done. That is not how he wants us to pray, actually. He wants us to genuinely ask. He wants us to express our desires and things. So think about this. My kids, they're little, when they come to me and they ask me for things, you know, you know they're, they're, I'm not gonna put a number on it, but lots of times it's not gonna be for their good. You know that, whether you have kids or not. Kids are asking constantly for things, and a lot of the time, if not most of the time, it is not something that's going to be good for them. And so do, do I, as a father, say, I just wish they would stop asking. Like, man, if the answer's going to be no, just stop asking. I'm in my frustration and my sin, sometimes that's true. But when I want to be a loving father, I still want them to ask me. You know why? 
Because if they ask me for things that I know are not good for them, that's an opportunity for me to teach them what is good for them. It's an opportunity for me to reorient them, to reposture them, to see, oh, I thought that M&M's for breakfast was going to be a great idea. But you had the foresight to see that I'm probably going to be throwing up in 45 minutes. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. And they never say that, but you know. <laughs> you get the idea? You realize God is doing that with us. Ask him. Ask him for all the trivial things that you think, like, should I ask God about this? And as you spend time in prayer, as you reveal your heart, as you express these things, you'll find that what he's doing is he's reposturing you. And he's helping you to come into alignment with his will so that you would know what it is that would glorify him and be for our good. Because they both work in tandem, remember? That his glory is our good. So ask. Um, I, I heard it um, one time put this way that, you know, imagine there's, there's a lake and there's this guy in a rowboat. And he's out in the rowboat. He's lost his oars. He's like, uh-oh, I need, I need to get to land. And he finds there's a rope that's attached to land and somehow the rope comes to the boat. Now he's got the rope in hand. He's sitting in this little dinghy, this little rowboat. There's land there. The rope is tied to land and he's sitting here floating on the water and he starts to pull. And we're all watching this happen and do you think, look at that guy pull land to him. Look at that. That's amazing. No, he's pulling himself to land. He's the one who's in motion here. The land is not in motion. And so in the same way as we pray, we're actually coming under alignment and into alignment with God and his will. But you know what the beauty in that is? Because that can feel a little fatalistic, deterministic, like, oh, then what's the point of praying? You have not because you do not ask. That God is absolutely sovereign. He's omniscient. He knows all things past, present, and future. You're not going to change his mind on something. And yet, in his eternal decrees, he says, things will change because of your prayers. And if you don't pray... It won't change. So pray. Pray with great confidence. And you pray and you think about the land moving or the boat moving. And I hear the words of Jesus saying, you know, faith just the size of a mustard seed. You say to this mountain, move. And it falls into the ocean. So maybe you pull on that rope with prayer and faith and you watch that actually the land moved because God wanted it to. And he brought you into alignment with it. So we pray. The next prayer is about communication. Um, in its simplest form, we say, what, what is to pray? Even you look at the, the root of these words, the word prayer in Greek or Hebrew, it's largely to ask. It's to express something, to communicate. Um, I love, it may be overly simplistic, but I love the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. Just to remember, here, here's a good model for prayer based off of the Lord's Prayer um, and many others, but adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. That we start in prayer by adoring God, seeing him rightly for who he is. We see ourselves in light of who he is and we confess because our sin actually does impede our relationship with God. It doesn't break it if we're in Christ, but it absolutely has an effect on how we experience him. So we confess our sin and we give thanks to God. He's a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. And Jesus said, you know, if a child asks his father, for, yeah, I'd, I'd love a little biscuit. Like, scorpion. No, that's not how he works. He loves us. He's a good father. And so we give thanks to him for the good things that he has given us. And then supplication. 
we make our requests known to him. We ask him for help. We ask him to move in power because he is the one who has all power. We ask for him to do things. But adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, some of you may be thinking like, those are some really fancy words and I don't know how to pray like that. Um, As C.S. Lewis once argued, just start where you are. Just start where you are. Just be genuine. You hear, he's constantly saying, Jesus is constantly telling us, you relate to him as father. And so like a child coming to dad, the child's not thinking like, how do I articulate this best? How do I make this sound really impressive and formal? You know, my son runs up to me and he just says what's on his mind because he knows that daddy loves him and daddy wants to hear him. So you run to him and you just talk to him. In fact, some of us fall into a tendency of trying to just impress people, whether it's others around us or God himself. Like somehow our theological expertise and vocabulary is going to be impressive. Hear the words of Jesus when he says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into the private room, shut your door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imaginably heard for them any words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. So just communicate. And then lastly, Prayer is about communing. It's not just communication. It's communion. It's to actually sit in and enjoy the very presence of God himself. To be with him. It's an awareness. It's an enjoyment of God who is the greatest gift. Jesus says, ask for anything in my name and it will be given to you. The very greatest thing that you could ask for. Do you know what it is? What is greater than God? Nothing. The very greatest thing that you could ask for, he has already given you. And you get to enjoy him. And so we come to him in prayer for communion, to just enjoy that he is the greatest thing we could ask for. He has given us himself, that we get to be with God. And in that, we're actually participating. Look back at the text. John 14, 12, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Who's doing the works? Verse 12, the one who believes in him. That's us, Christians. We get to do these things. Who's at work? We are. We're doing these things. The ones who believe in Jesus. And look at the next lines though. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Wait a second. Which is it? It's both of us. This beautiful way, like we were originally created, in the image of God, to proclaim to the world who he is, to image him. We were meant to rule and reign with him, to take dominion. And now, in prayer, we're invited in to participate with God, who again, has eternally decreed that your prayers will change things. So pray and watch God move. He's moving with you in this beautiful divine participation. We get to participate with him in this. Again, as James said, you do not have because you do not ask. So ask in Jesus' name. Let's do that now. And we're gonna spend 
some time actually praying, asking in Jesus' name. And as I've been reading and, and studying and wrestling with this text this week, just from early on, I've just been thinking, like, what are we asking for as a church? If we're asking for things in Jesus' name, what is it that we are asking for in Jesus' name as a church? And he says, if we ask in his name, he will do it. And so let's ask him for some things in his name. And I'm, I'm going to guide us through a few things that I think are very important for the life of our church. And this is not an exhaustive list, but I'd like for us to just spend some time praying these things together this morning. And so it may make you uncomfortable, but you are welcome to pray out loud. Get together with your family, with a friend or someone you don't know, because we don't want anyone to leave here unknown. This is a place where you can belong and be known because you're loved. You're loved by God and we are loved by God so we can take some risks and know some people that we didn't formerly know. But if you want to pray quietly to yourself, that's also okay. But would you approach God, this throne of grace, by the blood of Jesus because he has bought the way there. We are his. Would you ask in his name? And so as we move through these, the first thing that I would ask for you to pray for is enjoyment and obedience. Would you pray in the name of Jesus for enjoyment and obedience? Because Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. But again, there's this relationship between how much do we love him, how much will we enjoy him, and how much we will obey him. And so as a church, let's have a greater love for God. We love in response to his love. Let's have a greater love for God. Ask him for a greater love of himself and for his kingdom, for his glory. Ask him for a burning desire and enjoyment and satisfaction in him. Ask him to give us a concern for holiness and obedience. Let's pray in the name of Jesus for enjoyment and obedience. So pray these things together. the glory of God is our highest aim and our greatest good. So nothing else that we ask will matter if he is not glorified. And for his glory, will you now pray for laborers? We need help as a church. Jesus said, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Can we believe Jesus? We often live like, nah, I don't see an abundant harvest. It's there. We need workers for it. So let's go. We need to double the team that serves our kids. Did you see the number of kids that ran out there? And this is spring break week. There's a lot of kids in this church. We need to double the size of the team that is serving them. Will you pray and ask God to provide people who love the next generation? and care enough to tell them the greatest news this world has ever known. Our student ministry, teenagers, at a time when most people tragically pull back, and we need to press in all the more. We need somebody to lead that ministry. Not just because there's going to be 50 to 60 of them in a couple of years in that ministry, but because right now, there's 15-ish of them, and they need to know the gospel. They need adults who will mentor them, who will disciple them. So we need somebody who will lead that ministry, who has a heart for them, 
and will pour out their heart for them. We need help with the Connect team, the worship team, the production team, the facilities team. Every team could use some help. But why? For the glory of God. So would you pray for laborers now? The need for help is a beautiful problem and one that I am glad to lose sleep over. This is a wonderful gift that God has given us to steward well. So continue praying for laborers that God would be glorified and this would bring us such joy to know that he's invited us into this. And speaking of joy, did you know that there are various things that can happen on earth that bring varying levels of joy in heaven? This is what Jesus said in Luke. He said, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. I want to bring more joy to heaven. Don't you? So let's pray for monthly baptisms. This has been a dream of mine from before we planted this church. That we would come to a point of caring so much about the glory of God that we would want to see more and more people worship and we would share the faith, that we would share this good news and people would respond because Jesus said, the harvest is abundant. You just need laborers. So let's go tell them. Let's go tell the city of Claremont, this county, this state, this world, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He has come. He has died in our place. He rose again victorious and he's offering everlasting life, forgiveness of sins, life with him life and abundance. So let's share this. Let's ask God to save because he is the one who saves. But let's ask God to help us to be obedient in this mission he's given us. Let's pray specifically for those who are within and those who are without. There are some here who still need to respond in faith. And there are those who have responded in faith and still need to be baptized to proclaim that God is the one who saves. Do you know that if we packed every church in this community to its max, it would still be less than 20% of the people who live within 10 miles of here? Do we care? And not just care about them and the fact that they're destined for hell apart from Christ. Do we care about the glory of God? That we should see the whole world confessing his lordship, praising his name. So pray that God would move and we would have monthly baptisms celebrating God's saving work. We continue this mission that Jesus gave us, that he started, and so we're just continuing it. The way he spoke of it is as a search and rescue mission. He said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And so as we embark on the search and rescue mission, there's no doubt that having a base of operations for such a mission is really helpful. We would love to be in our own facility, a place where we would have consistent gatherings without how much it exhausts so many people to set up and tear down every week, to focus those efforts elsewhere. We would love to have a place for constant equipping of the saints, a place for rest, to know that it's safe to come here and heal and rest a place where we would come together and then strategically be sent out. A place for ministering to our community where they would know it's safe to go there. I'm gonna hear that I am beloved 
there's a God who loves us. They're going to hear the word of God faithfully preached. They're going to hear the saints rightly handling the word of truth and letting that permeate every aspect of their life. So will you pray for a facility that God would give us a place in this community to permanently call our own for his glory. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And so with great faith, will you open your eyes and watch? Watch for him to answer. And remember, it's also participation. As we pray and we ask him to move, let's do our part as well. Seek his glory. Serve where you can. Share the gospel. Be obedient in faith. And even the more tangible, practical things like a facility, keep your eyes open and share ideas with us. We've looked at a lot of places. But pray and hear him when he says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You pray one last time with me. Jesus, we come by your blood to you, Father. Because of the power of you, Spirit, we have been adopted into this family and so we come asking, Dad, will you give us these things so that you may be glorified? Would you work in our hearts and our lives, work in us, work through us, so you would be glorified above all We do ask this in the name of Jesus, and by that we mean we know we have the position and posture to be here. And it's about your glory, and that is our good. But we're asking in communication. We're also here in communion to enjoy you, to be with you forever. So again, it is in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen.